1: Hey everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Mason Avenue's My Podcast. I'm Steve Seifel, and I'm joined this week by Ken Levin and Thomas Anderson. How are you guys doing tonight?
0: Good. How you doing, Chief?
1: I'm doing all right. So today is Brian Bannister's birthday. So happy birthday, Brian Bannister, obviously. And that trade doesn't really get brought up that much because it's not like Brian Bannister had a, a crazy career after he left the Mets. Definitely also in the shade of the Scott Kazmier trade, so obviously when people think about bad trades, they think the Kazmier trade before the Brian Bannister trade, but that pissed me off so much, that trade. Because they literally got, like, nothing back. Yeah. But, uh, the less we say about, uh, M.B. Or Burgos, the more, uh, the better, so. Um, anyway, though, Brian Bannister, he has the honor of being one of four players that the Cyclones... Retired the number of along with Dylan G and Angel Pagan, and of course, legendary Danny Garcia. (laughs) And since the Mets are retiring Keith's number this season, I think that we are going to retire another Cyclones number. And there's a couple of names that would meet the criteria. So, who are we gonna, whose number are we gonna retire here and promote Extend Trade, I guess, in order of most worthy to least worthy? First, we have. Legendary Cyclone, Mike Jacobs. Then we have Legendary Cyclone, Hansel Robles. And last but not least, Legendary Cyclone, Danny Muno.
0: I think Pagan's got to be the first one for me. Or no, maybe Jacobs. Might be Mike Jacobs
2: the the options were Mike Jacobs, Hansel Robles, and um, Danny Munoz. Danny Munoz. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna trade
1: Munoz. Yeah, you See, that's he had the worst career, major league wise, of all of those three. But he was a Met the longest. Like minor, how, Jacob, how much like really
0: good t- though. I feel like like in the minors and stuff. Like, if we're talking about that, too. And Jacobs was a good major league player.
1: Right. But most of that came... I mean, he was with the Mets for that crazy period in... 05? 04? I mean, he did most of his damage as a major leaguer with the Marlins. Yeah, he's a Marlin, really, but... Right, so, like, how much does that factor in?
0: I mean, to me, it's about the best players from the minors, right? Like, that came through... Brooklyn, not necessarily for the Mets.
1: In which case, then we have to go back to Munoz, who has the single-season psych bones, uh, record for batting average. That's fair. And then Hansel Robles was, of course, like super he, dominant. He was very player. hot right
2: now. Yeah, he, he was. was. <laughs> so hot right now. Yeah, I'm i a, think. I'm has, Hansel... And, uh, yeah, I, I that's what I'm doing. Promote Jacobs and trade Mono. Can,
0: can can we put a statue outside of? I almost called it Keyspan. Um, I'm gonna call it Keyspan anyway. That has him pointing up at the sky. In the parking lot.
2: Iconic. That's what that is.
1: <laughs> it really is. All right, so. Moving on now to our way too early draft updates. Um, Lucas is not here with us today, obviously, but he was kind enough to quickly write a little bit about the two guys that he was following, Brock Porter and Beavers, and I don't have that up in front of me, so bad preparation on my part. Damn, I'm really hitting... I'm really over today. (laughs) Well, Brock Brock Porter, um, there's no high school baseball just yet. It's still a little too early for that. But Brock Porter was up to 100 miles per hour with his fastball and some pre-workout bullpen sessions. So that's obviously good. It's definitely what you want to see. And Beavers, um, well, he's... He's doing all right. He is currently hitting 321, 412, 679 with five walks, eight strikeouts across 28 at bats, and he also has three home runs. And all of those three home runs were absolute moonshots that basically left the, uh, left the left the field for about 30 feet or so. So, I think we consider Beavers having a good start to the season. Yeah. There is a little swing and miss in his game. Lucas does acknowledge that. But he is, and I'm quoting here, 100% beaver-pilled, end quote. <laughs> um, Ken, how are your guys doing? Obviously, Collier, you know, no high school season.
2: Uh, So apparently, you've been uh, going for a little bit. Um it looks like they've played like 20 games according to their their official website.
1: Oh, I forgot that he's in Juco and not a high school.
2: Yeah, so um he's currently hitting 379 476 652 with 5 homers, 11 walks against 10 strikeouts um in 66 at-bats across 21 games. So uh yeah, that will play.
1: Yeah, that will play especially yeah, considering sure.
2: he's 17 years old playing against, like, literal, like, junior college people. So. Um, yeah,
0: that's, that's a big age difference and big physicality difference. At
2: least three years. I like the average player is probably, like, 20. Yeah. Um, and then Jace um, Jung has really, honestly, I think they're pitching around him a lot. He's um, still, you know, performing pretty well. Uh, he's hit two thirty-eight, um, .500, .381 in 21 at-bats across seven games. Uh, he had his first home run, I think, literally earlier today. And he's walked ten times against seven strikeouts. So um, he's been batting lower down in the Texas Tech order for some reason. And I think a lot of it has been people have just been pitching around him. Like, he's been batting fifth for for Texas Tech, and by the time they get to him, it's like the back end of their order. Yeah. So I'm not really sure what that's about, but he's still getting on base at over half his plate appearances and is still striking out less than he's walking. So
1: That's arguably... More important than hitting? I mean, we'll get into more of the nuts and bolts about college baseball a little bit later, but things are also, make the um,
2: Things are also really weird in the early season, because um, I think they pl- they played Kent State in their last three games, and um, I think like Eastern Arkansas or something, they're their first three uh, games.
1: Go Eastern
2: Arkansas. <laughs> so they're, they're playing against teams that are, are generally not of... Um, a comparable level of competition. Yeah. And so typically a lot of these guys will get pitched around. So but we shall see.
1: I mean outside of the pitching around like you know, you can't really do anything about that. Has no. there been anything has there been anything in this week early week one sample size that has you worried or excited? Or any anything has changed since you know last week?
2: Not really. I've only seen him swing a, a few times, and um, I mean, if anything, it, it's good that if they're not giving him something to hit, he's he's laying off of it and you know taking his bases. So mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but also, it's very very early in the season, and um, generally, when he has gotten pitches to hit, he's hit them, so that's good.
1: All right, Thomas, how about your dudes? Like um, well,
0: my dudes, are, for mm-hmm. my dudes are pretty boring this week because Gavin Cross has played in one game, and he went three for four, but he hurt his wrist. So he's been uh, not playing, really, which obviously that's not what you want. But also, it doesn't seem to be super serious. It just seems to be a thing like he's very clearly Virginia Tech's best player, like far and away. So I think they're just making sure he's fine for later in the season by messing around with the early season weirdness that you get from college baseball. Like I mean, these are about.
2: basically tune-up games. Yeah,
0: exactly. Like, it doesn't really matter that uh, he's not playing right now. Like, it'll matter if he misses half the season or more than that, and then he's just not playing. But right now, it it is what it is. And um, high school hasn't started yet for Berea. He's been doing perfect game stuff. He threw, like... Three days ago, the Perfect Game Florida account tweeted that he uh, struck out eight over five scoreless innings, which is what you want to see. He was touching 97 and doing all that good stuff. So hopefully that just means that he'll be ramping up for the regular season for his high school season, and um, he gets to go from there. But, yeah, that's how it's going for him. So that's always good. But it's just not... The Updates are small for me because cross got hurt, and he's been out, so it's hard yeah. to um it's hard to really have a take on what he's doing, you know
1: mm-hmm. obviously, hopefully that's a kind of minor injury, and it doesn't
0: yeah um the when I was looking it up, it seemed to not be very serious um looking at meaning like when I was looking up for his stats and stuff to see if I missed anything um but yeah, that's really it um. He hope he comes back soon, and then he starts playing because he could hit.
1: <laughs> mm. Well, my guys um, first was Chase Delauder and he kind of had a, a Jekyll and Hyde week. James Madison, they opened their season against Florida State, and the team got swept. They faced two tough lefties, Parker Messick, who was ACC pitcher and freshman of the year last year, and then Bryce Hubbard, who was an all-star in the Cape. At last year, and he's like a top-50-ish kind of guy in the upcoming draft. So, and, and James Madison got demolished in two of those games, <laughs> two of the three games. And DeLoyda struggled against two pitchers. He went one for nine with a double, and that was it. No walks, six strikeouts, um, and then three for 15 altogether in the series. But then later in the week, uh, they play George Mason, and then fairly dickinson over the weekend and he did a lot better. He went 8 for 15 with a double and a homer. And so now he is hitting in totality 379 457 552 with two doubles, a homer, five walks and 10 strikeouts. And his struggles against those those Florida State left-handers it highlighted something that we were talking about on Slack prior to the show last week. And we mentioned how you know, even though the scouts are really high on his hit tool and he's a very polished college hitter, maybe the best, blah blah blah. The mechanics look weird, and yeah. against you know these these high level lefties, it really gets it, it really got magnified. How you know he he lands on his front leg so early, and then his back leg just the yeah, back leg just kind of like drifts when he swings, and he looks like he could demolish anything. On on the inside of the plate, but to the outside, to anything away, it's like he's lost. And that's basically exactly what Florida State did to him. And I was looking. I couldn't find any splits, you know, uh, lefty-righty splits for him. And I don't have the time to go back (laughs) through every game log and compile them myself. So it'll be interesting to see if this is something that's going to continue. And he's a guy that shows you know, uh, extreme platoon splits. Hopefully not, though.
0: Yeah.
1: It's definitely not a death Uh, sentence
0: for him, but you never want to see extreme platoon splits, you know?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Landon Sims, the guy, he had a better week. Uh, He got settled with a loss on opening day against Long Beach State last week, but he did pitch a good game. He allowed uh, just one run over seven innings. He allowed five hits, he didn't walk anyone, and he struck out 13. And then this past Friday, he didn't pitch as great against Northern Kentucky University, but it wasn't a complete clunker either. Um, He gave up four runs, only one of which was earned, over five innings. He allowed six hits, he walked two, and he struck out four. So all in all, through two games, he has a 150 ERA in 12 innings, with 11 hits allowed, two walks, and 17 strikeouts. What is a little concerning is that five of those 11 hits have been extra base hits, four doubles, and then a homer. So, you know, we're still in the small sample size of the season, so it's not really time to be worried, but it'll be interesting to see if that's something that continues because he almost had a one hit per inning rate at this point, which is kind of concerning as a guy that was... Previously, a kind of shutdown closer. So we'll see how he does as a uh, starter throughout the season.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the the strong contact like that sucks to see, but that could also just be him getting used to how often he's pitching and stuff.
1: Plus mm-hmm. again, it's uh, as is the case with all these guys. It everything oh, is yeah. kind of a tune-up. This is yeah. literally the first week of the season. All right, so this week we are going to talk about college baseball. Um, there is a guy that's been getting a ton of hype for pretty good reason, and um, Everyone out there might have heard of him from following Lester's draft when he was a senior at the uh, IMG Academy, and he was considered one of the premium high school bats available, or maybe from just casually scrolling through Twitter or whatever, but Tommy White, he is a freshman. He's an outfielder from North Carolina State, and through his first eight games, he's currently hitting .588, .650, 1.412. With a double and nine home runs.
0: I think you will take that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and North Carolina State, they have 59 games left. So he's currently on pace to hit 66 Warmers and end the season with 75. So is that going to happen? Unlikely. But that would be pretty awesome. That would Um, be. (laughs) But it's... I mean, one reason why that's unlikely to happen is just because, you know, you can count on one hand the amount of MLB players that have done something like that. Um, But if, I mean, not, not if, when eventually he gets drafted, is he likely to be a prolific, prodigious home run hitter? The jury is out, most likely. I mean he's that's what he does. He is a he's a he's a slugger. He's a big guy. He he hits on runs and hits them very far. But you can't always you know, the continuity from college to minor league baseball and then to major league baseball is not, you know, one to one. It's not even there are differences in college baseball as opposed to professional baseball. So that's what we're going to talk about uh, this week. There's a bunch of things. I, I, you know, I I just kind of jotted down a bunch and was looking into them. I'm sure there's more, you know, other guys think of something that I missed. The most obvious one to me that makes college baseball different uh, is just the setting and the equipment. Um, You know, a lot of programs, they don't necessarily... Take care of their fields the best because of budget reasons and personnel and whatever. Um, I was—it's actually kind of sad. I was looking up, you know, a bunch of different schools originally for dimensions, um, and just perusing through a bunch of other NCAA baseball programs. Quinnipiac—that's a pretty well-known school. That's a big enough name. Would you agree? Yeah. Maybe not necessarily for baseball, but just the school itself.
0: I I know them from hockey, but, like, they have a pretty good hockey program. But, yeah, like, it's a big school.
1: Right. Well, their baseball field is literally a field. It has – it doesn't have walls. People bring their own portable chairs. Uh, The outfield is not even level. That's pretty crazy. This is a D1 school. This is a pretty big school.
0: Yeah, that's why. Marshall
1: Marshall University, um, it's another D1 school. It's in West Virginia. They don't even have a stadium where they play. They play their home games in a bunch of different local facilities that are available when they have home games. How crazy is that?
0: It's it's crazy because, like, you would think that – I know baseball is hard because there's a lot of space – in baseball, like, there's a lot of space around. You need a lot of space for baseball stadiums. Like, there's not a small place to put something. And, like, I get it from that sense, but also just, like, you would think a D1 school would have D1 facilities for all of their sports. Like, and this is also Mm -hmm. a problem with when you talk about women's sports with D1,
2: where
0: they have way worse facilities than the men's even, no matter what it is. So, like, it's a a trickle-down thing. And just, like, college baseball is not – it's not the the college sport that basketball or football is for any of them money-making-wise or anything like that. So then they just they they put that level of care into it money-wise, and it's not much, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you're fielding a baseball program, you should have a baseball stadium. I mean, I feel like that should be without saying, but <laughs> I guess someone needs to actually say it because... Marshall University is doing just that. That's crazy. Uh, and, and again, it's not like these are, I mean, Marshall University is not like Harvard or, or, or Princeton or, or Yale, like a, a university that has this name and, you know, money, you know, attached I mean, to it a, and everything. But it's
0: it's it, a D1 program. Right. It's like.
1: It's, it's an accredited pro- college. It is a legit NCAA D1 program. Yeah. It's, not,
0: it's not some small school stuff that we're talking here. But, like, even the – like, how many really big stadiums are there in college? It feels like it's a select few and even other stadiums just – other teams just kind of play in the middle of nowhere sometimes.
1: Mm-hmm. One good thing about the Quinnipiac field – is it's right next to a state park and it's like very mountainous and nice looking. So there's a nice background there, but that's really the only thing that could be said about Quinnipiac baseball field. So yeah, that is definitely a, a, a major difference between college and that's going to have an impact because I mean, you have weird and, and in some cases poorly maintained facilities in professional baseball too, but not to the degree that some of these colleges are, are keeping their things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Another difference is is dimensions and just the way that fields are, are stadiums and fields are, are made. Um, obviously, like Quinnipiac and, and Marshall University are, are outliers, but... Let's just look at a couple of the the major programs, the top five rated programs coming into 2022 for Stanford, MSU, University of Texas, LSU, and Vanderbilt. So in in no particular order here, um, Stanford Stadium, Sunken Diamond, it is 335, 400, 335, left to right. That place is a ton of foul ground. That'll affect the players' numbers. Would you agree?
0: Yeah, usually it's always the thing we talk about in major league stadiums when a place has a lot of foul territory. It's just it's a topic of conversation just because of the, There's things that can happen in that, like Oakland, for example, is a good place where like pop ups, you lose more at bats through pop ups with foul pitches and stuff like that, and just in general, just um overall unlucky ends to your at-bats where you might get saved in another stadium. Yep.
1: Uh, Mississippi State, their field duty, Noble Field, 330, 390, 305. That is a pretty short porch, 305.
0: Yeah, 305 is short.
2: <laughs> well, on the Jake Mangum.
1: Uh, Something. <laughs> <laughs> Mangum Corner. Uh, University of Texas now, Dish Falkfield, 340, 400, 325. That's pretty reasonable. That's not bad. And that's about Yankee Stadium. Um, Vanderbilt, Hawkins Field, 310, 400, 330. And that 310, it has a 35-foot wall. So that'll rob some homers. For sure. Uh, the last one LSU Skip Bertman's Field 330 405 330
0: that's normal that's not too bad
1: So I mean that's one of the things that I like about baseball is every stadium in addition to you know the actual stadium looking unique and looking different is the field is also unique so that is something that will impact you know college numbers and performance, just like it does in the minor leagues, and then obviously in the major leagues too. Um, Equipment is different.
0: Yeah, I think this is the biggest one.
1: Yeah, the ball that's used in NCAA games, it basically is the same ball that's used in professional MLB and MILB games, although it wasn't always the case. Um, College, they used to use... Balls that had to seem a little bit more raised, but they stopped doing that in 2015. And then also, when we talk about balls, I mean, who the hell knows what ball the MLB is using at any given point? But
0: yeah, changes um, weekly. <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah. But the ball, the, so the ball is the same, but the bats obviously are different. Um, in, in Major League Baseball, minor league baseball, they use all kinds of different wood bats, whereas the NCAA uses metal bats, and there have been tons of studies that show that metal bats, the aluminum bats, they outperform wood bats because they don't break, they're lighter, so they can be swung faster, they're hollow, so there's, like, less uh, kinetic energy disbursement when the ball hits the bat, when the bat hits the ball. Um, So, this is definitely, I think, the main reason why you could have a guy like David Thompson, slug nineteen home runs in his breakout year, and then basically look like a schlub at the plate ever since.
0: Yeah, it's just it,
1: it.
0: You have to kind of look at what the player does, and it's hard because like you can't discount their performance, but also you you have to take what. Bat they're using in consideration. Like so, sometimes you could just tell that that's a that's a metal bat home run, or sometimes you could just be like, oh no, it's not. Like it's different. Like sometimes it's just different.
1: Now, what are you guys' opinions on um, what is more satisfying: the ping of the metal bat no. or the crack of the wood bat?
0: It's definitely the crack of the wood.
2: Crack of the wood bat.
1: All right. Good.
0: The Metal Bats are so... Here. The Metal Bats suck. I don't like Metal Bats.
1: <laughs> if Lucas is here, he would definitely say the Metal Bats. He is the bad take machine. But, I mean, there's there is there's a reason to the... There's a reason at the end of the day why these programs use the Metal Bats, and really it's just cost. You know, Major League teams, they have... I don't want to say unlimited uh resources because apparently all these owners are, you know, <laughs> making losses and it's really not cost effective to even own a major league team but you could have uh, you know a player could break 15 bats in in a single game and there's basically a, an unlimited amount of bats available to him maybe not his bats the ones that he likes but you know um college not so much you have I'm not going to lie to you, I never in.
0: thought about that. The cost. Yeah. That makes yeah, a lot yeah. of
1: sense. You have people coming and going, players. Um, it costs money to get all these bats, and metal ones are... What, what's a good word? They have a longer shelf life, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, equipment, definitely a big reason why college numbers are... Uh, Not always the most accurate. Another thing, not really sure what to call it in like a a specific word or whatever, but at the end of the day, uh, the coach's job, the athletic program's budget, all that stuff, it's dependent on how good the team is and how much money the program produces because, you know, the ultimate goal is to sell tickets. Um, Yeah. Have you guys seen the clip? I don't remember when. It was probably, like, maybe Thursday or Friday, of uh, the Vanderbilt players basically using, like, Apple Watches. No, I don't I think I did.
2: I saw vaguely about it that they were using, like, a, an electronic pitch calling system. Yeah,
1: so so the NCA approved it last year, and they are now using Vanderbilt players anyway this year. It's basically like an Apple Watch or some sort of... Specifically made device that the pitchers have and the players have, and they know, uh, you know, what what pitch to throw or where to position themselves or whatever else. And it's information that's sent directly to them from the dugout. Uh, the NTA also approved the use of one-way in-ear communication devices that would let the coach literally get into the catcher's ear. Um you know that is obviously not the best way to develop a pitcher or or develop a catcher
0: you're going to have to teach every catcher how to call a game like as soon as you right. draft them
1: exactly you know but at the end of the day you know millions of dollars are on the line here for a lot of different people and do you think that a coach is going to leave million uh, you know possibility of millions of dollars being flushed down the drain to the whims of a couple of like 18 21 year old kids like
0: it's it's complicated because while like we consider college to be like a developmental thing almost but like right, you're saying right. no one at college is there to develop like the 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 average college coach is there to win a national championship or win their division or whatever whatever your certain program's level is like everyone's different like vanderbilt Head coach of Vanderbilt is not there to send you to the MLB. He's there to send you to a national championship. Mm
2: -hmm. He might send you
0: to the MLB through that, and he will. A lot of times he does. But in general, like, they're balancing those two.
1: Right. Mark Marquez, he was the coach at Stanford, 1977 to 2017. Forty years. That's hilarious, by the way. Yeah. He had uh, a record... Very good record. Uh, 1,600 wins, 878 losses, and seven random ties. And, you know, I'm not going to say it was all because of, you know, his his coaching and everything like that. But at a certain point, he realized that in college, all you need to do is just put the ball in play and keep the train going, and the infamous Stanford swing was born. And developmentally, we know that is not – good. It has driven scouts and professionals crazy because, you know, that doesn't work in the minors and it doesn't work in the majors, for the most part, but that let him keep his job for 40 years and basically become one of the greatest coaches of college baseball history. And he, uh, you know, like you were saying, he was not coaching to develop a player. He was coaching to win Stanford championships and to Keep his <laughs> job, so that is uh, that is also a major, major, major reason why you know college numbers again don't not fully translate once players become professionals.
0: Yeah, it's just it's it's a different game in every sport. Um, no matter what, you're gonna have different levels of play and different styles and different ways to win in any sport. But I feel like college baseball is like almost indistinguishable from the from even the minor league game, let alone the major league one. College basketball is similar in that regard where it's just completely different. Like the way you win and what works and what doesn't and what type of players are successful are different in college basketball too. But college baseball, just like the literal equipment you're playing with is different. Like, like the metal bats, I, it, the cost stuff makes sense and all that, but it's just... It's not good for anyone involved because it's it's you get you could get reliant on a swing that works with a metal bat, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this doesn't work when I'm trying to hit with a wood bat. You know what I mean? And
1: -hmm. then
0: here you are, four years of your life and thousands of swings have been now have to get reworked because that's just how life is for a for a college kid, and that's crazy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was from when I was reading stuff about. Stanford swing specifically, but there was an article on Fangraphs. It was from like 2015, I think, 2017. But there was, you know, an anonymous scout, and he was saying that it drives him crazy that there are so many players, high-level college hitters, that basically when they get drafted, they need to be retaught everything because not. it's not that they develop bad habits in college, but they are taught to do something... That works in college, which is yeah. win right now. That is not necessarily conducive to developing to their to the best of their own abilities, you know. And that is something that I think is is. I mean, it's not unique to baseball, but I think that it. it I don't really follow other sports too closely, but I do know that, like, you know, college is kind of the minor leagues for basketball. It is kind of the minor leagues for football. Not completely, but... I mean,
0: there's still stuff that happens in those sports that you know won't translate to the major league game or the professional game. And, like, something we didn't also talk about is the workloads pitchers have in college, like, especially the good Mm -hmm. pitchers. They get just, like nubbed into the ground because, again, the coach at Vanderbilt doesn't care if your arm is shot when you go to the Boston Red Sox. Like, his goal is to win in Omaha, you know?
2: Anthony Kay, (laughs) please stand up.
0: Exactly, yeah. And, like, he got got torched into the ground because they made him throw a million pitches, and then the Mets drafted him, and it was Tommy John immediately. And it's like, well, yeah, because his arm is toast, you know?
1: Yep, yep, yep.
0: And like I, I and, don't really know how to combat that outside of saying, "Hey, don't don't do that." But it's like they're just going right, to do it.
1: You can't be mad necessarily at the coaches because they need to do what they need to do, and they're looking after their interests. They're looking after the school's interests, whatever, and and the players too. I mean, I'm not going to say like they're callous and they're going to leave a guy out there for like 500 pitches. It's not like Japanese kosian or anything like that. But you know, they need to coach and, and worry about, you know, one step ahead of them instead of five, which is the player getting drafted and going on to do whatever it is that they go on to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, another thing that is pretty different from, from college ball to professional is I don't want to say level of competition. That's not like the right way to put it. But like a lot of guys in college have the ingredients to be excellent players, but they just don't have everything together. Whereas in the minor league baseball, and especially at the major league level, everybody has their their, their shit together, for lack of better words. You know, in college, a guy might throw like 100 miles an hour, but he might not know where it's going. He might have a crazy good slider, but he can only throw it, you know, outside. He might have a, a guy with a great eye, but he's just too passive. Or guy has power, but he just swings and misses at everything. And it's not that these issues don't exist in the minor leagues and the major leagues, because obviously we know that they do. But the players have either minimized those weaknesses to the point that it's only a, an issue against, like, Better competition and not lesser competition, whereas in college, not so much.
0: I don't know. It's just – it's probably also, like, easier in college to rely on your good skills if your bad skills are, like, something like accuracy or something because mm-hmm. if someone's throwing as hard as that in college, then they're going to get most kids out anyway, like, regardless of um, how talented they are or not talented they are or whatever, like, or how – accurate anything is or anything like that. It's just... And then when you go to single-A and double-A and triple-A, the batter's getting better and better and better and better, and it's just... That's the incremental gains in baseball are so vast. That's why you just don't see kids getting drafted as seniors in college and going right to the pros. Like... Even the most polished of polished prospects need some time to learn the game unless and learn what's going on.
1: you are... Uh, Mike Leak.
0: Yeah, like... And it's funny. And, I always found Mike Leake a funny example because he's like had a good but not great career. Like he's a good pitcher, but he's a good but flawed pitcher, and like he just didn't need to be in the minors. He already was that.
1: I think there's someone else too recently, right? <sighs>
0: I can't think of oh, anyone well. recently. The last person I can think of is John Olerud.
1: I need to look it up now because it's annoying me. I'm pretty. Uh... The Red Sox guy, White Sox, uh, the White Sox guy, Garrett Crochet. Oh,
0: he didn't go to. I didn't know he yeah. didn't have any minor league time. I thought. I thought he had like. Because of
1: twenty. Because of twenty twenty.
0: Oh, okay. Because I thought he didn't debut the year he got drafted, but that's a weird year.
1: Yeah, yeah, he was drafted 11th overall, 2020, White Sox, and then debuted in September 2020.
0: I didn't realize that. And,
1: yeah. And he is the first since Mike League.
0: And he's a reliever who throws hard and has a good slider. So, yep,
1: yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like,
0: like, that's the type of stuff that could debut right away. Because really, what more does he need to develop if he's not going to be a starter? Like, he's a reliever, and he throws hard. Cool. You know?
1: All you need, yep.
0: Like, I think, he, I think they want him to start eventually, but that's not where he's at right now. And I guess they want to teach him through the majors, which I understand. It's not the worst plan in the world.
1: Um, related to that, but not the same exact thing, it would be the, uh, what's a good way of putting it, the the disbursement of talent, um, you know, like, you have a, a really good college team. Odds are, you know, you have like one or two really good players, and the rest of the team is kind of like, okay, you know, it's, the distribution of talent is not always uh, as equal um, what is, I have a quote as, uh, I found a quote from Brandon McCarthy He's obviously, you know, he was a pitcher And now he's a, a high-level executive So he' pretty smart He kind of knows what he's talking about um, According to him A college team would stand a small chance In a seven-game series against a low-A team and this was from a couple of years ago, so this was before you know, baseball, uh, minor league baseball split into uh, four teams and a complex. Um, so yeah, they would stand a small chance in seven games against a low A ball team. Most likely, they would still lose due to lack of pitching depth. Minor yeah. league teams have five five man rotations, all have been drafted and have made it already to A ball, whereas colleges typically have three to four starters most of which will be drafted, but not all, and will take a year or so to reach the high A level. The best colleges will have most of their best pitchers get drafted high, will move through minor league systems quickly, so the best pitchers stand to have a great chance against A-Ball teams. But after that, it's where it gets dicey. Offensively, they would struggle against an A-Ball team's best pitcher, but a few players could keep their heads above water, and the best could possibly thrive. Yeah, that
0: all makes sense. Like, yeah. And there's definitely a few uh college kids on those really good college teams that will be an A ball after they get drafted or should be if they don't want to if a team doesn't want to push them but they could if they wanted to mm-hmm. like that's not out of the realm of possibility but also I think in general once you start getting to like the bullpen and stuff like that like I feel like those college teams are going to start to blow a lot of games when they're they're handing in college level relievers against like A ball hitters that'd be that 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 would be a tough time for them too
1: Mm-hmm. And I mean that's something that we've we've moaned a lot, you know, in a couple of uh, years past with Michael Conforto. Why are they sending him to Brooklyn?
0: Yeah, and stuff like David,
1: that. David Peterson. Even why are they sending him to Brooklyn? We know well that was, was quite, because they didn't
0: want him to pitch, right? He right, eight hundred million uh, inning season under his belt at Oregon, yeah. Oregon State, Oregon,
1: yeah. Well, I don't know Oregon and Oregon State, but it was in the state of Oregon. (laughs) But, yeah. um, And and typically an A-ball team, or even if they were up against, you know, at the time when they existed anyway, a short A-ball team, or even now, let's say, a rookie level team. Those are guys that either were... um, from the DSL that have been brought stateside, uh, prep bats that have been in the system for like a year or so, um, or or kind of lower tier college players that were drafted or and are in the system now. So that just kind of puts it in perspective how you know a, a college team, you know, regardless of what you know the numbers that the players are putting up in a college environment, or you know individual players in a college environment, still have a lot to. Go before they you know can hack it as professional minor leaguers and then obviously professional major leaguers. Uh, is there anything you think I glossed over?
0: Um, no, not really. It's just for me, it's it's the it's the equipment and it's the pitching really that's different, the most different. Like you could really thrive as a college kid in a way that once you get to a wood bat league, it would fall apart almost quickly for you. I think that's the big difference and what kind of holds back. Also, like, how often really good players don't even go to college. Like... Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, that's the other part. It's like, the best five or six players from any given class don't end up going to college.
0: Yeah, they're not going. Andrew, uh, Drew Jones is not going to college, you know? Like, he's getting drafted first overall or whatever, and he's not even thinking about it. And, like when you when you lose that level of that those talent pools, it was a big problem with college basketball for a while where college bas- like all the really really good players would just get drafted out of high school and then everyone else goes to college and it just worsens the game overall because no good prospects are in college like mm, there's good, good college prospects that happen, but they are not good as freshmen or they would have been drafted you know so mm-hmm. it's it's hard for it must be hard for a sport like that to kind of maintain that level of that high level of talent, just because they're there's such a better alternative for them if they're a high pick. There's no reason to go to college if you're going to get millions to sign, you know.
1: Well, yeah, that premium education.
0: I mean, sure, you can do that. after. <laughs>
1: that you can do that after. Finish.
0: Like, there's no there's no time limit for when yeah. you go to college. You know.
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that is kind of college baseball in a nutshell. But you know what? It's still fun and something that really, and I don't want to say, didn't really exist in like minors or professional baseball. It, it, but because there are extreme rivalries. But I mean, think of you know. Yankee-Red Sox being a shit ton of games when you have some of these college rivalries because there's just so many different teams that play each other in geographically close locations or they have history together, whatever the case. College baseball is fun. I never used to kind of, I, I, I was, you know, I went to a CUNY school. I never had like any kind of school spirit or whatever you want to call it. I always thought that college sports were kind of dumb. And it's just kind of, like, fun not having, like, any specific rooting interest in any given team, just seeing everybody else having fun. Like, you know, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, so you could just root for the chaos. You could root for every upset. You could root for every, like, weird, like, there's no, you're not locked into something if you were rooting for a singular college team then you went there, which is fun in a different aspect because you get to, like, have school pride or whatever if you really liked your college experience at a big school, but it's just different, yeah.
1: I think that my official, like, college team to root for is Alabama just because I like saying world tide, but I don't know. That's fair. <laughs> There's <laughs> worse not.
0: reasons to like things.
1: It's very true. So, yeah, that is, uh, that is. College baseball, and you know, with most likely Major League Baseball not starting on time.
0: Yeah, who knows? Like, we okay. we report for prosperity, We recorded this on Sunday, so we have no idea if there's a lot if if games will be canceled or not.
1: Odds are, but yeah. The meetings keep up to
0: today, but who knows?
1: Yeah, but if there isn't Major League Baseball, you know, obviously minor league baseball is going to be starting on time sans prospects on the 40-man roster, which kind of sucks. Yeah, that does. But also, you know, college baseball will be in full swing by the point, you know, by early April. I mean, they'll have about two months or so into everything. So just like how in 2020 when there wasn't a uh, Major League Baseball season for the first couple of months because of Corona and the KBO and NPB kind of got major popularity boosts maybe college baseball will get some major popularity boosts in uh in a world where their the lockout continues
0: i could see it as like in a short-term type of thing and like also i feel like it'll be easier for people to stick with college baseball if they do end up liking a lot because like you don't have to deal with a massive time difference and language mm-hmm. barrier and everything like it's not easy to watch college baseball but also, like, you could just get ESPN Plus for, like, $2 a month or whatever it is, and you get access to a bunch of games. Because I'm pretty sure a lot of games are on there.
1: Yeah, I mean, the infrastructure to, to is already there with a lot of teams being broadcast already, so.
0: And you could also just kind of, like, if you did go to a big school or if you have a college rooting interest, then you could very easily just root for that school's baseball team unless they don't have one. But... mm mm-hmm. Because on the other hand, there's a lot of schools that do have baseball teams that have nothing else that are big, like Long Beach State is a bigger baseball program, not a huge one, but like I think Wichita State has basketball and baseball and no football or anything like that. So,
1: And who's the pitching coach of Wichita State? Isn't it Pelfrey? Yep. That's little so, old Mike Pelfrey.
0: Makes me feel so old.
1: <laughs> I know.
0: The pitching coach, Mike Pelfrey, okay.
1: all right now for uh well before we before we move on so i I think that covers everything pretty much yeah all right now the will ponder of the week and the will ponder of the week this week goes to Condoleezza rice And she was on Fox News this morning on one of the morning shows. Oh, I miss all of this. (laughs) Uh, And the host said, I've argued that when you invade a sovereign nation, she was referring obviously to Russia invading Ukraine. I've argued that when you invade a sovereign nation, that's a war crime. I mean, I think that's a real just basic point there. End quote. Condoleezza Rice nodded the whole time. And then she said, well, I'd agree. It certainly is against every principle of international law and international order. You know, like in the office, when someone would just say something ridiculous, and Jim would just kind of <laughs> look into the camera?
0: Yeah, just kind just of break look a off. fourth yeah.
1: wall. That basically is what what should have happened with everybody there. That's like high-level Will Ponnery.
0: That's just, an, just a heck of a... Uh, of a conversation all around
1: <laughs> well if there's one thing Condoleezza Rice knows it is uh, war crimes if anyone has any comments questions whatever you could send us an email at our email address from Queens at gmail.com you can follow us on twitter and shoot us questions there I'm at Steve Seiper Lucas is at LVLAHUS343 Ken is at Ken 1191, and Thomas is at said Mets season, SZN. Subscribe to the podcast, or forget you get your podcast from, rate and review it, and of course we thank you for listening, and we will be back next week. So until then, love the Mets, love the Mets.